suing Gascone, how the district attorney of Los Angeles County found himself in hot water with his deputy district attorneys and, oh yeah, some judges too. Malcolm McLaughlin from the Daily Journal breaks it down for us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, everybody. Today's show is about District Attorney George Gascone, who's been making national headlines for his special directives, which have caused the people that report to him, his deputy district attorney, some heartburn, so much so that they decided to sue him about these new directives because, according to the case they filed, it puts them on a collision course with the law and their sworn duties to the state of California. We have a great guest joining us. Welcome to the show, Malcolm. Thank you for having me. Malcolm, you're you're a staff writer at the Daily Journal. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I read your article and I thought you did a really good job explaining it. And so obviously, suing the boss does not make one popular around the water cooler. And you know, I read the case and you know, I put my attorney hat on and I got lost in the weeds. And so I was looking at the trees, the bark on the trees, talking about these special directives 2008 and 214, and I got bogged down in the details. I thought they kind of had some crossover, but but your article really kind of just took a step back, you know, looked at the forest and kind of painted what was important here. So let's start with this. Let's start with the special directives that got everybody so wound up. What was in them? Okay. Well, when uh, Gascon took office on December 7th, uh, about a month after the election, he immediately sent down a bunch of, they're basically the uh, DA's equivalent of uh, executive orders. You know, this is how I want to run the office. There was a whole bunch of them. This case involves two of them. Uh, number eight for the year 2020. Some of these, I th- believe, were uh, put out by his predecessor, Jackie Lacey. But, you know, they're, they're numbered sequentially. And this is the big one is about sentence enhancements. And then there's also number 14th, which has to do with sentencing and resentencing and how the office approaches those cases. Yeah. And so the, the, the reason this is important, and I believe the reason it made national headlines is because on one side, you've got these deputy district attorneys who are trying to do their job. They're trying to follow the law as it's written, as they are required to do. Otherwise, they could potentially be uh, be disbarred. And on the other side, you've got district attorney George Gascone, who's trying to, uh, in his way, trying to make sure that uh, certain communities in the state are not being disproportionately targeted by enforcement. And so that's how we ended up here. They decided to sue to get this all clarified. So my next question for you, Malcolm, is where are we in this suit? Now, I understand it was brought by the Association of Deputy District Attorneys for the Los Angeles County. And I think they've either had a hearing or they will have a hearing on Wednesday, but at some point there's going to be, uh, they're, they're going to get into court. So where are we with this? Well, the big thing that we're heading towards is there's a hearing set for February 2nd regarding the preliminary injunction that they were seeking against the enforcement of these directives. The big news has been around the sentence enhancement so that he wouldn't seek them around things like gang enhancements, three strikes, uh, those things. There's been a little bit of back and forth about whether they're actually seeking that injunction right now, but then we're looking at an April 8th hearing if this actually goes to trial. You know, I mean, really what this, they're claiming when you kind of try to cut through the legalese that the uh, deputy district attorneys are being put in a catch-22 where they have to, if not break the law, yeah, basically that they can't do what their boss is telling them to do. 
Well, let's get into that a little bit. So that that's what the uh, Association of Deputy District Attorneys is claiming. They say we can't follow the district attorney special directives and comport with the law. So what examples did they give in their complaint to kind of paint that, uh, I guess, paint the trail for that? I think it's there's an important to, to make a distinction between charges that have already been brought and what a, dis, a district attorney or deputy district attorney can do with those and uh, going forward. Uh, I think it's fairly clear to most people that going forward, Gascon can make whatever policies he wants. District attorneys in this country are very, very powerful. And uh, many of their arguments have to do with sections of the Penal Code 1385 and 1386 that give a ju- the court judges discretion when uh, charges have already been filed. And so, you know, people might remember the Michael Flynn case where right. Flynn pled guilty and then the U.S. Department of Justice tried to withdraw the charges, but the charges had already been made. The judge was very skeptical. And then we never actually saw that really go, the legal question really be answered because then Trump gave him a pardon and the the judge dismissed it as moot. But so in terms, a lot of their arguments have to do with cases that have already been filed and what happens with those. And they, you know, they basically cite a section of the legal code that what it essentially says is they need the court's discretion So I think when you look at critics of the case that are being brought, a lot of them will point to that and be like, it doesn't say that you can't request to drop these enhancements or drop charges. It just means that you have the court, uh, the court has to approve it. One of the things that jumped out to me in this, and I think if if I was working in the office and you know I was of the opinion that the laws as they were written, what, what, what we needed to enforce, I think that having to read into the record that the office finds that these laws are unconstitutional would probably rub my feathers the wrong way, you know. And I think that that was getting under their skin. But you're right, you know. There's the future cases, and then there's the pending cases, and I think that creates a lot of friction. And so let, let, let's shift over to Michelle uh, Hannessy. She's the uh, deputy district attorney, also the president of the Association of Deputy District Attorneys. They they brought the case, and uh, she was bringing up that some of her fellow deputy district attorneys were getting into hot water with the judge in their cases, the judges are really pushing back on them. And so can you share some of the examples of the judges getting after these attorneys for trying to implement Gascon's special directives? Yeah, there have been various times when uh, judges have yeah, basically pushed back against attorneys. But I think it's also important to remember that just happens in court. I mean, right. part of being an attorney who goes to court, you know, judges are not always going to be happy with you. And I mean, there have been, you know, some cases, uh, there was a case where a a four-year-old child was killed. There's been a lot of attention on that. And they, I believe, you know, what they tried to drop some enhancements on that and got some pushback from the judge. And I think it's also important to note that Gascon came back later and changed some of these directive as, as they, you know, and now he now is allowing, um, enhancements for hate crimes, elder abuse, child abuse, sex cases, and financial cases. So, yeah, and, and, and I think in terms of if you're talking about a deputy district attorney getting in real trouble, like being held in contempt 
are facing uh, state bar discipline, that is a very, very high bar. That does not happen very often. You have some recent cases in California, and they tend to be for very, very egregious behavior. There was a case out of Santa Clara where a deputy DA lost his job and is in, the, uh, in, in a four-year suspension now. But, I mean, he withheld evidence and uh, did things like that that, you know, are clearly violations of, you know, the code that an attorney swears to uphold when they, you know, are honored by the bar, you know, with a license to practice. I tend to think that it's very unlikely that an attorney, a deputy district attorney doing what their boss tells them to do is going to personally face sanctions. But I mean, it's also important to remember that the group that she represents is a union and they have a a duty to protect uh, what they see as the interest of their union members. Uh, And going into sort of critics of this case, I mean, Erwin Chemerinsky and then a couple of very high profile professors at Stanford kind of shot down the legal rationale. And uh, one of the questions you sent me was, do you, do I agree with Erwin Chemerinsky? Yeah. What's your, what's well, your stance I, on that? <laughs> I am not a lawyer and Erwin Chemerinsky is one of the premier lawyers oh, in this yep. country. So uh, if I have a disagreement with Erwin Chemerinsky, Erwin Chemerinsky, <laughs> neither me nor anybody else should put much uh, <laughs> much weight in my opinion versus his. You know, that said, I'm sure there are attorneys who disagree with him. But he, so, I mean, what he said and what David Mills and Michael Romano, who are both Stanford Law School professors associated Romano with the Three Strikes Project, is that they believe that this case will be struck down. Uh, quote, the California Supreme Court has held that California district attorneys, quote, are given complete authority to enforce state criminal law in their counties. The Deputy District Attorneys Association's concern over strength enhancements is inconsistent with their decades-long silence when former district attorneys often dismissed enhancements and three-strike allegations in the interest of justice. And I think that's what you get down to is that, you know, DAs have a lot of discretion in how they run their offices. You talk about how uh, elections have consequences. Gascon won not a tremendous, but about a seven-point victory, a pretty clear victory in a case where he he really ran saying he was going to do exactly what, what he is now doing. And then he came in, and I think a lot of people have been surprised about how quickly and aggressively he went about it. But at the same time, he has not, to my knowledge, done something that some other high-profile uh, DAs have done. So Chesa Bodin and uh, San Francisco and fired several deputy district attorneys, generally higher level people who he didn't believe were going to, you know, go along with running the office in the way that he wanted. His predecessor, one of his predecessors, Terrence Hallinan, did the same thing 25 years ago. And these are at will employees. They can be fired. I think the existence of a lawsuit by the union will make would make that much more difficult for him. But until a judge says otherwise, I think we're largely looking at a political disagreement that is playing out in the press, in the courts, and is going to probably is going to fester for a long time. I mean, you have a lot of a lot of people do not like what he is doing, the speed with which he is doing it. But at the same time, you know, there's also a lot of people who didn't like the culture the way it was before, Jackie Lacey got a lot of pushback from the Black Lives Matter movement. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see going forward. And I think uh, once we actually get a couple of 
court hearings, particularly the one in February, if that goes forward, I think we'll know a lot more about the the legal aspects of it. So I'll go ahead and put you in the uh, camp of Dean Erwin Chimerinsky, and uh, I'll put you in the camp of Gascon for uh, for who... now. Well, for now, <laughs> for now. Well, and I'm not, and I'm not actually endorsing. No, I know or that. Criticizing I know that. what Gascon's doing, but it, from my perspective, it appears that he has the right to do these things. Yeah, you know, and this is one of those ones. I put that question out to you because this is one of those uh, times when I disagree with my legal hero, Dean Erwin Chimerinsky. So I totally hear what he's saying on this. I totally hear it. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, just like you said, elections have consequences. The people elected D.A. George Gascon to do this, but they also voted in the very laws that he is not enforcing. And so totally agreed. You know, D.A.s have wide latitude when it comes to enforcing the law. They can they can pick and choose charges to bring based on the case. They can absolutely make exceptions to that based on, you know, what justice requires and the situation at hand. But one of the things they can't do, and I think this was like some of the uh, the counter wisdom that came to this, was they can't just discard the law that the people voted in. And that effectively makes them, uh, you know, legislating from their executive position. So I found myself in disagreement with Dean Jimerinsky on this. And uh, I'm not a constitutional law lawyer. You know, that's not, not my area of practice. But I was like, you know, I don't know if that one's going to make it. So one more question in terms of the relief being asked. I know, you know, this has been in the news and I know it kind of gets into, you know, what you vote for versus what you get and uh, the law versus the way the law ought to be. But uh, what relief are the this association of deputy district attorneys asking for? Well, so the the the, the complaint really cites the two special directives that I, I mentioned. The one, the first is number eight on sentencing enhancements. And there have been at least two revisions to that one. So it gets a little complicated. And then number 14 having to do with sentencing. These are the ones that they're asking the court to strike down and, you know, basically, basically saying that, you know, they he doesn't have the right to unilaterally, you know, decide how these go forward. And so, I mean, there, you know, and then there's the question of does it get enjoined in February or shortly after, or does it, is he allowed to kind of proceed with how he wants to do things? And then, the questions will get decided in a later trial. And then, of course, I mean, the politics are just going to continue to swirl around this. And, you know, we'll kind of see how deep, you know, his support among the people who elected him is. You know, maybe this does start to turn some of the public opinion away from him. Maybe he decides to make some changes based on this. Maybe everybody comes to the table and kind of negotiates a settlement for this case. I, I think that's certainly a possibility. And if he does lose any aspect of this case, it's probably most likely that he would lose in terms of the cases, the criminal cases that have already been charged. But, you know, again, uh, I could be wrong. He could lose the entire thing. It's possible. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's just another log to throw on the fire of a very contentious political cycle uh, in our our country's current history. So, Malcolm, it was wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if people want to read more of your work, where can they find you? Uh, dailyjournal.com. We are heavily paywalled, but uh, I like to think that we're worth it. We really like to get down in the weeds. Excellent. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please subscribe directly in your favorite podcasting app. It's free and nobody asks any questions. Also, we'll site make available our sources for this episode on our website so you can read about them for yourself if you want to. Thank you to my team, producer Molly McDonough and our LT and crew for all their hard work. Much, much appreciated. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Clitty. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.